Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Coach's Road podcast. Today, we welcome on Sala Oss, and I'm sorry again, Sala, but she pronounces her name much better in the episode itself. Uh, but Sala is our communications instructor for the, the program here in Vitor Mackey, and, and I, I'm very excited to share today's episode because it is that that class is so fun. We we have that class in our. I think we had it in our first year, Rick, and I, I think you might have had it uh, in your second year or your first year. Yes, well, I had, but... we had it in our second year because at this time the program was still a bit different, or the yeah. curriculum. Yeah, but it is it is a really fun class. You know, we have so many different activities that we do. Uh, we have so many different uh, ways of learning how to communicate better as coaches and in what situations do you need what and everything like that. So I'm very excited to share it. She comes from a, a theater background. She's a director in the in the Hainala Theater, uh, and it, it really brings a different perspective, not only to the show, but but to communication in general. You know, it's it's someone she, her job is to teach actors how to communicate in different scenes, and so she's studied communication. She studied you know nonverbal and verbal communication. She studied theater, and she brings that all out uh, in today's episode and and shares a lot of really good information and a lot of quality insights into just how we can get better at communicating yeah. as coaches and it is uh, i have to say it's a really fun episode and, and really yeah it's nice a very fun episode overall and i think overall salah is also a very fun person to be around and i think um overall what makes this episode so strong is that um communication is not just when you speak that's one part of communication but there's so much behind communication there are certain things like active listening then how to behave non-verbally then we discuss in depth with Salah the communication loop um, so there are so many other things that go inside communication um, so I think this is very essential to highlight and I think also Salah she's a she's a very very good person and as you said that uh, the classes with her are very very fun but at the same time they're also extremely practical um, because I remember a lot of former graduates uh, a, lo a lot of people who have graduated from Biromeki said that they actually could take the benefits from the class into their coaching and also recently we had a few uh, presentations about people who have been in their work placement here you can always watch them also if you have been graduating or, or not and um, there have been also a few people who actually said that um, how much this class actually has helped when they have been working in more competitive levels whereas actually a little bit more pressure from from the media side so i think and also for the podcast it helps it helps a lot um the insight salah could could us could give gave to us during our time in viromeki and overall just a very practical conversation i think there are a lot of things we can implement and uh we hope that everyone who's listening now will enjoy the episode as much as we did with Salah. And before we jump into that conversation, um, we talk a lot today about the wheel of interaction. Uh, we posted that in our Google Drive, so if you want to follow along with that, uh, go check that out there. So now we'd like to welcome on Sala Oss from uh, Hainala. Sala, you're a uh, theater director and also the communications teacher here in the degree program. Um, thanks for joining us today. Rick and I are very excited to, to talk with you again and, and learn some more about communication. So first of all, how's everything going down in Hainala? 
Thank you so much for inviting me and thank you, thank you for letting me be here. Uh, things are just fine and I think the summer has just arrived to Heinola, which makes I think everybody really happy. So this is a great day to, to do this podcast. Yeah, I'm excited for the, the warm weather. Finally, we're going to be up in the up in the 20s this week. So that's exciting. Um, impact in the mental being of Finns, how we are and how we communicate as well. Yeah, yeah. And everything, everyone's getting that little jump back into their step, which is exciting to see. Um, so anyway, we, we always like to, to start with a little bit of background about our guests. So if you could kind of just describe your your background and, and how you got into the theater world and, and how you got interested in, in communication as well. Sure. Okay. My, my name is Salla Ors and my last name is Norwegian. So everybody in Finland always mispronounces my, my name because it's, it's a Norwegian name. So that's important for me because my family was international and I guess we always felt a bit of out of place here in Finland. Not not that we are, yes, we are very much Finnish family, but yet there was always this component that that we came from somewhere elsewhere. So that that's that's part of the communication thing, actually. In my family, we communicated a bit differently, I think, than in many typical Finnish families. We were more um, maybe open and spontaneous than, than a typical Finnish family. And um, mm, I grew up with uh, in a happy household. My parents had this idea that everybody is welcome to your home. Like the idea of the Moomin Valley, if you know the great books of Tube Jansson and the Moomins. And their house is like the house for everyone. Home is a place for people to come and meet. So there was always very colorful crowd of people in my, in my home. And, and that taught me a lot about communication. And I got really curious about going abroad and, and to travel the world and to see the world. And so at the age of 16, I became an exchange student, AFS exchange student. And I was sent to Washington DC, United States. And I had the year of my life there, meeting a lot of people from all over the world. And some of my best friends came from Italy, France, Germany, uh, Yugoslavia, which doesn't exist anymore, and many different exotic countries. So obviously that taught me a lot about communication and international communication. And the theater thing, I've done theater ever since I was five years old. Actually, I had my own theater company as a kid and we toured around the, the, the local countryside performing a fairy tale or um, children's plays. and. So the theater has always been there. But to get more serious, I, I left Finland to go to study to France after doing my, my senior year in high school. And I, I lived in France. I studied there at the Sorbonne University. Then I went to live to Denmark. Then I went to live to Norway. And obviously I was always the foreigner, the different one. And I had to adapt my communication and, and my 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 um, yeah, well, my communication to the to the native, to the natives and to the place and to the country, and and that was really learning ex experience. And when I got back to Finland finally after those years being a bit of nomad and traveling around mainly Europe at that time, I I went to university and I studied uh, drama 
and theater history and speech communication or oral communication. And that kind of gave me the backbone of my ideas, what I, 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 I had kind of experienced about communication. So the, kind, the way I look at the world, it's a combination of my experiences, lived experiences. And then obviously the theory comes from my, my studies. And I'm a, I really think one has to keep on going. Like you, you need to be a rolling stone. You need to do new things. So I've been studying more and more. I, I, I got more and more interested about this communication thing. And I became a, a drama pedagogy. I studied drama pedagogy. Uh, that's a difficult word always for Finns. Pedagogica, yeah. So that's how you use drama in education. And then finally, I also ended up studying adult education at Hagahelia in Helsinki. So I have done those studies as well. So um, this is like my, my educational background and a bit of my, my how, how I got interested about communication. And obviously theater is about communication. Theater is where you make a reproduction of real life. It's like a simulation of real life and how people are in interaction and, and, and especially the nonverbal interaction is really important on the stage. And well, Shakespeare said it, life is a stage and we are all actors. So, mm. and what I have found out is that the theater director is very, as, as, a, as, a, as a job description, it's almost the same as being a coach. It's just a different title. I coach my actors, I coach my acting team. And besides the actors, it includes the staff, the people who take care of us. Just like, for example, in the hockey team, there's plenty of people who are on, on backstage, so to speak. It's not just the players, it's a whole bunch of people who make it possible. I think only difference is that once the hockey game is on, you as a coach, you can still yell instructions or you, you can try to give instructions while they, play, while they are playing. But in theater, I have to kind of tape my mouth and sit quiet in the back row once the show is on. Of course, I can give feedback after the playtime is over, but, 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 but still my work kind of ends there when we have an opening night. And instead, instead of co in coaching, you kind of keep on coaching. But then again, there are similarities. Like if you are a good, dedicated theater direct director, you will give feedback to your actors and you keep on um, being involved with the play or the show and you keep on coming back and, and you want to improve the thing all the way, all the time. So hmm, there was something. Did you get any idea what I what I meant? <laughs> yes, definitely. And now you basically described the similarities between coaching and theater. And also it's um, it's very great that you had as a young person the opportunity to travel so much around the world. And mm. then also that you had the opportunity to then after go to Denmark and Norway. I'm pretty sure that these experience must have strengthened your interest in communication skills and also the overall topic and um, going back to the theater stage um, overall that what do you find so fascinating about theater and why did you get involved 
theater. Mm. It's all about people. It's all about all the humanities, everything we we are, our belief systems, the way we communicate. It's extremely interesting always how we how we build understanding and how we misunderstand each other. That's that's something that I learned during my 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 traveling years. This 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 fascination about new people and and this curiosity and and how to reach somebody who is very different and thinks differently and 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 that's i think is the essence of of a dramatic arts and theater is the this is this urge to communicate to share ideas to share time and space and care and just being to share the, being human and i think in sports we often think sports as they are something like they have a lot obviously to do with your physicality but then it, it has all to do with your psychology as well, as the humans. It's always the mind and soul there. The body is not an empty shell. So I think uh, this is also an interesting aspect that theater is also a very physical art form. You are there. It's, your, it's the actor's physical being and capabilities that are in test on the stage every night. And the same with athletes. And, and yet... Like what I was supposed to say, what I wanted to say is that in sports, we often think it's all about the physics and, and you know, how what is your physical performance. But I think, as you guys know, as, 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 as coaches, that it's all about actually about your mind, your mindset and your, your capability to control your nerves and, and your thinking and, and understanding of the game. So it's, it's much more to do with psychology and the team. I think theater is my art form, my major art form. I love all the arts and I, I try to practice all the arts except music I can't play. But, but, but the idea about theater is, is, is that um, it's, it's, a, it's a different people coming together and they have a, a, a common call, goal. And, and that's same about in, in, in sports, that it's such a different people coming together and they all want to improve their performance. They want to come better. They want to win. And, and, and that's fascinating because you have to deal with people and people's mind and psychology and team building and love and care and friendship. And those are the things that make a good performance, I think, in, in, in theatrical arts, but I think in sports as well. And in team sports, it's 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 obvious that it's same similar process that the coach is like the one that um, helps the team to work together because it, it has to breathe like a, one organism, obviously. A good ensemble in the theater and a good team in, let's say, in, in ice hockey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that's why we, we wanted to get you on today to talk about this, you know, this overall idea of communication and, and how we can use that better as coaches and I think you know we we learn or we're in your communications class in our at least for me in my class it was our first semester and I know that's how I think moving forward it's going to be but you know it's so powerful to to learn that stuff right away because there's so much about communication that you don't think of as coaches and you don't think of it really as at least at least in my opinion, it's not really always thought of as something that you can improve or something that you can learn more about and utilize more as a tool rather than just kind of something that's there. 
And so I, I think your your class is really powerful. So we wanna we wanted to get you on and, and share a little bit of that information and kind of uh, boil it down to the the main points here today. So starting with one of those main points, um, I think the, one of the first things you teach us about is nonverbal communication. So can you just describe the the power that nonverbal communication has and and how that kind of plays into the message that we're we're sending as coaches? Sure. Thank you for your kind kind words kind of um, feedback you gave me for my classes. Uh, first, I want to, sh uh, I want to say that uh, communication, the word comes from Latin word, and we could translate the word to share, to share. And, uh, and when talking about nonverbal communication, when two humans, at minimum two humans are at the same space, they, they communicate non-verbally, even though they don't say a word. The way you sit, the way you breathe, the way you look at one another or avoid to look one another, there's a, the whole story immediately in between those two individuals. So uh, as humans, we can't be out of our body. So there's always this, this body talks kind of aspect. And um, I prefer, yes, I actually, I do prefer the word nonverbal communication to the uh, so-called term body language, because nonverbal communication also involves some other aspects, like how you use time in communication. But yes, nonverbal communication, it's, it's all these things. Um, it's the way you look at people. It's the proximity to people, how far you are from them, how close you are from them, are you above them? Are you below? Do you is your body uh, saying I'm submissive to you? It's the touch, the great big tool, um, um, how we touch one another. Uh, it's all the signs and movements. What do we do? Of course, our facial expressions are part of that. And then one really, really important aspect is the tone of voice. Because it's been said that the voice communi communicates the, the emotion, the emotional uh, substance of what you say. And you can say exactly the same words, but depending how you say the words, that, that's, that is like the main, the punchline for the other person that they really feel in their gut. It's like the punch to your gut. That's the, the emotion you get from, from somebody's uh, voice that's why we can uh, we like to talk on a phone and that's why we um, we listen to podcasts and radio and radio plays and music it's because the voice has such a powerful message and it's not that much of the words you all know you've been listening music and and pop pop music and rock music and of course the music has a, the music has the same powerful element of um influencing people and building up different atmospheres and moods and awaking emotions and, and human voice carries that quality. So I think that's really important to realize always when we talk about nonverbal communication, that it's more like, how could I say, it's more, uh, it's not that much what you say, it's more how you say it. That's the weight of the of, of the words, it's how you pronounce the words. And there are different studies, they are all done in, in Western cultures, but, but in these studies, they say that it's 94, 96% of your communication, it's, it's nonverbal. And it's only 
then from four to six uh, percent, it's what's left for the words. And obviously, if you can say something in a totally neutral way, so that there's no emotion whatsoever, but actually for humans, that's really difficult. So, so almost always when we say something, even if it's what, it carries emotional message because I can say the same word, simple word, what, in such many different ways, what, or what, or what. So there's always a different meaning depending on the emotional load that, that your voice kind of carries. And yes, I, I wanted to mention also that why I prefer this term nonverbal communication to the word body language, it's because also time plays an important part in communication, actually really, really important. So it's, it's how we deal with other person's time. Do we respect other person's time? Are we in time? Do we arrive late? Do we let people feel that they are wasting their time? Or do they feel that when they are with me and when we communicate that they, they get their money worth of time? Um, and then there are these aspects that what is the good time to talk about such and such? Uh, you don't want to talk about important stuff when somebody is exhausted or hungry. So timing and how you use time in communication, I think that that's a really, really big thing we all often disregard. And it's also where we make a lot of kind of, um, well, a lot of misunderstandings do happen when you communicate with somebody from a different culture. Because in different cultures, you have different understanding of, of time, how to use time. And this is a generalization, but, but mainly in the northern countries, we are quite punctual. And southern, you move on the globe, on the earth. More people are like, tomorrow, it's no, okay, let's see, eight o'clock, meaning by the 10 o'clock. And for example, for Finns, that's really rude if, if you are late and you are not being punctual. Maybe that has to do with climate. In the cold climate, you don't want to wait for somebody and, and stand and, and, and uh, be freezing. Instead of under the sun where the bananas are kind of falling off the tree, you can have a good time and you don't mind waiting for someone. But I think that that's a big concept for misunderstandings when you start to have international communication is the first thing is is that we have to be on the same page how we manage time how we think about time what means what punctuality for example means in in, in this culture where we are functioning at the moment yeah that's i'm glad you mentioned time because i think in in all of the dp classes you know that's something that is very different between the cultures that we have come in, right? And there's so many different, so many different ways to look at it. And, and yeah. even, you know, within, within my country, just the States, there's, you know, some people that are fine being a couple minutes late. And then there's some people that are, they have to be a little bit early, right? And they have to be, they, they have to be there and that's respectful for them and everything like I that. Think and so it comes from your home also, it's not just yeah. the in different countries, but it's different households have a yeah. different time managing culture. Me and my husband, we work on the performing arts and the performance starts punctually, like 
hockey games and and practice mm. you, you need to be there you can't start without you know the the goalkeeper you have to be there and you have to have your equipment on and and so you have i have learned i have grown to this punctuality and it was same with my father he was always like if he said that the dinner is five o'clock p.m it meant uh 17.00 military time and if you were late then you you missed your dinner and and in some other families it's totally different thing but in my family because we were up to many things we kind of wanted to keep the thing rolling so mm. it, it's also a family thing but yeah. in many professions you need to be punctual and it yeah. can cause a lot of kind of you you dislike somebody just because you don't you are not on the same page of time managing yeah yeah it's yeah exactly obstacle in in uh, in um, relationships as well it might be that uh, that your spouse comes from very different communication culture um the time and the time wise and and they and the time managing can be the biggest problem in the, in a in relationship yeah yeah and i i don't want to um, put you on the spot here or anything like that but you know we had in our in our classes we had so many fun activities and and it was it was taught almost like a like a theater school I would imagine in a theater class and everything like that so can you do you have a an activity or something off the top of your head that that coaches can use to kind of work on their nonverbal communication and and kind of focus on it a little bit more and um, is that something you could like describe over over a podcast Something you guys should practice, you mean? Yeah. 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 To have deep discussions with people, with people who have a different point of view. To have a nice evenings with international crowd, what you have at school and at the campus, and talk about the world and the politics and the religion and all the hard topics, <laughs> which you don't use in this in in a, how to say um, small talk but have deep discussions with people who come from different cultures. Try to make your point um, and then listen to the other person. Try to understand the other person's point of view, where they come from, what's their reality. Because looking from the, the, the same issues from a very different point of view, let's say on, on the world stage, it, it looks very different. So this this discussing and, and explaining and understanding somebody who is very different and, and totally on a different page on, on some topic, I think that creates good communication because we need the words, even though this nonverbal thing is a big, it's always there. But as humans, we communicate through words. We have to learn to talk. And as a coach, you have to learn to verbalize your thoughts and Otherwise, you know, how, how would you communicate? If you are a dog, you can, you can whack your tail and, and your ears are moving and somebody can tell your mood by the position, how you, how you position your ears. But as humans, it's the words. And, and we have to, as a director in a the theater, and I think as a coach, you have to be verbal. You, you have to explain and you have to find different metaphors and different images to 
like to offer people so that they can they'll find the the one that speaks to you and they they can understand so have deep discussions it's it's totally free it's easy to do get involved with people and talk and talk and listen and 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 be positively curious and and i, I think that develops your communication skills more than anything else well i think you hit the very valid point that it we as humans, um, first of all, we are social beings, so um, it's our it's our nature. It's on our nature to socialize and to speak. Um, from my experience, for example, if I wake up in the morning and I haven't spoken that yet, and then I have my first conversation of the day, mm -hmm. I always feel a little bit better. And um, I think also with the podcast, basically, what I've been learning is that overall you cannot redefine the wheel so what i mean by that you cannot come up with new words but as you have been saying already um that it's so much about how you actually express certain words because i think or how do you use your language because i think that's uh, a key component in coaching and in life overall yeah. and um something i would like to go a little bit deeper with you if we speak again about that nonverbal communication, and we can also include the discussion example here, um, it's again the tone of voice. Mm. And uh, that's something in coaching over, I think this is maybe my favorite part of nonverbal communication because it can be such a powerful tool, how we, um, how we interact with our athletes. So what I mean, where I want to go is basically that sometimes as coaches, so we speak a lot about that um, if we want to challenge our players, there needs to be a certain demand level. Mm -hmm. So they actually have the opportunity to improve. Mm -hmm. And our tone of voice in that sense is so powerful because we have the uh, ability to raise it or to lower it. But okay. as coaches, um, from our experience, what are some of the let's say key components when it's appropriate mm -hmm. to have a higher tone of voice and when it's appropriate maybe to take a little bit the foot off the gas pedal exactly yeah. you need to be able to become dominative give instructions be very assertive and then know when the when when there is an aggressiveness in the, your tone of voice and how that influences immediately to other persons emotions is there if there is a threat and these are all tools you can play with these obviously if you are skillful and you knowledge all these possibilities but then you have to be careful that you are kind of not communicating through something you don't mean just that you are overwhelmed by your own emotion. Like if you, if your child has done something wrong or your player has done a mistake or badly behaved or whatever behaved badly, then you might want to have a serious talk with them. But instead of just being angry, even though you feel furious and angry, you need to, you might need to be very calm and uh, understanding to get to the point so that the person dares to open up and you can come up, you can find the reason for this behavior. Instead, if you are angry, you are just throwing your own emotion there. But 
But to find out why this behavior happens, maybe you need to be extra gentle and there needs to be this tone of understanding and empathy. And instead of trying to pretend the emotions is, is to be aware of the emotion, emotions that do happen to you. And it, it, it's, I think it's to, it's to know yourself. You need to know yourself. And, and then once you know yourself, you can also, you, you can say, hey, now I feel this, but what do I want to communicate through this person? And, and then, then you are kind of steering the wheel instead of just going full speed. Did I answer your your? Your question, Mark. Yeah, basically, you're going totally in the right direction, but I would like to follow up on this because um, a very essential com com component what we are talking about in groups is the, is the behavior of each individual. Mm. And um, over what kind of influence can or has the behavior of an individual or the group on our uh, tone of voice and also with which right it's often that there can be just one person, one individual whose um, um, behavior is disturbing. And because it annoys me, it can overwhelm the whole communication in the classroom, so to speak. And my kid came from school just the other day and he was so sad and, and, and he said, I don't want to be in school. My ears are tired because the teacher is angry all the time and she's shouting. And, and, and I said, is, is she mad at you? No, but there is somebody who disturbs the class. So that's what so easily happens to us as human beings. There's some disturbance. It might come from outwards or it might be something that has happened in our life. And it can kind of overtake our whole uh, um, expression. And, and it comes the major tone in, in our expression. And, and that's, that's wrong. We, we should be more capable to kind of, hey, okay, I'm mad with this person or this person annoys me and I deal with him and, oh, and there is this emotion involved. But with the rest of the class, with the rest of the players, with the, with the rest of the team, this is what we were working on. And to be kind of conscious of your expression and what kind of, uh, what motion is there that you deliver? It happens so easily that one minor thing kind of takes over the whole situation instead of, I think we should try to be always, always very specific, specific, like if I'm mad at you, then I'm mad at you, but I'm not mad with you, rest of you guys. Or like as a teacher, when I often do, I came to class, there were like some people missing and, and somebody hadn't done their work for maybe, and I got really pissed off may I say so and, uh, and but then I wasn't you know it it wasn't the whole class's fault and those nice really nice people were there every morning and they were in time and and then I have to kind of mm -hmm, I deal with those annoying things and people who have misbehaved but hey these people are here and they are they are good and they they came here and they are doing their best so it's this kind of mm, you need to control your emotions and be conscious of what you express. Yeah, I, I think that's really important and something that's that's pretty hard to to learn how to do. I would I would say for for the first couple times and then oh. and it takes 
you know, years of practice and, and really having to focus on it and, and reflect on yourself as well. For exactly sure. what you said, you need to reflect yourself. And once you become conscious of this aspect of, of your communication, then you can start to develop. But it's a long road. I'm still working on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned some of the words dominative or um, yeah. assertive or submissive or anything like that. And and I think one of the tools that, that you taught us that, that really helps kind of um, take a few bigger steps along that journey is this kind of the wheel of communication you taught us. So can you just describe the the wheel um, and kind of how we can use that to, to better, you know, understand our communication sure. and how that works? Yeah, I have to have the drawing in front of me. So I have my book here and, and I have the drawing. So the idea is that... Um, mm, as humans and as mammals, as animals, we as humans, as animals, as mammals, we have these basic uh, feelings and, and, and also kind of basic ways to communicate. We can either really love something, something is really pleasant for us, or then something is really uh, disgusting and, and frightening and, and, and then we feel aggressive about the thing or we feel disgusted and aggressive and so on. So these are the two opposites, like the being, being drawn to something and then being uh, drawn away from something, like, like to push it away. So there's this being friendly and being likable and then being aggressive and, and kind of pushing things away. Those are the, the, the main line in, in, in the circle of different communication styles. And then this, this is a vertical line. And then there's a kind of a horizontal line. And there on the other end of the line, there is a submissive behavior. And on, uh, on the opposite end of this vertical line, there is dominative behavior. And like, if you see, you see two dogs who meet on the random country road. There always happens this kind of this sniffing, who are you? Like what happens even with humans, who are you? Maybe not in a similar physical activity doesn't go on, but, but the mental activity is there, who are you? Should I be afraid of you? Am I, should I be the submissive one or, or are you being the dominative one or Am I trying to be dominated in this situation and you better be submissive? So there are these very basic things that even the animals operate with this for, like to like something, to be friendly with something, to be afraid of something, to be aggressive or to be dominative submissive. So now we have the basic kind of cross line, the cross in the middle of the, the circle of communication. And these are always opposites being the friendly behavior, aggressive behavior, submissive, dominative behavior on the vertical line. And, and yeah, they are like, um, it, they are like different steps. If you are on the out, outbound of the, the, the circle, then you are extremely friendly. It's like love kind of friendliness. And when you come towards the center point, the point zero in the very middle, then the behavior is very neutral. And if you go down below the, the zero point, like we say in the thermometer, uh, down of the vertical line towards the aggressiveness, then the first step I would say is to be passive, pass, passively aggressive, passive aggressive behavior. It's like then it, that's, that's when you don't greet people anymore. You might say, hey, Rick entered to the room, 
but why should I say hello to him? And even though I don't think I'm doing something like aggressive, but not greeting him, it, it seems like, why doesn't she greet? Is she mad with me? Is she, is, what, what's wrong? So those passive aggressive actions are actually really common in, in, in human interaction and, and really interesting part of this. Okay, now we have the main kind of uh, directions. But uh, as humans, there might, needs to be more nuances, more variations, because we have all this verbal communication that other, other creatures don't have such a, such a complicated and, and developed language structures like, like we humans have. So we need to have something else. And yes, if you follow the wheel, like the direction that the like clock, clockwise, the first, first communication type, if you start to move from the needle from the friendliness towards dominative interaction, the, the, our needle stops there in the middle and that's instructive. Uh, communication and instructive it's there in your in your title for example when you study at the Vierumäki Haagahelia they train sports instructors so the thing is that you are being instructive you give advice you you uh, mm, mm, you motivate you but you are doing it in a friendly way and yet you want to have you want to make the people to pay, behave in a certain way you want them to do the drills you planned but you don't make them to do the drills by force but you are suggesting and encouraging them and and do it in, in a very positive way and and i think that's the essence of being instructive it's not by force it's more by kind of waving the character hey this is good for you hey you did well and so on so that's instructive behavior and that's where we need a lot of words that's where we need the the, the verbal skills and then the needle moves and we are at the dominative behavior. And that means that you do what I tell you to do. And obviously as a coach, you sometimes need that behavior, but you shouldn't be stuck to this communication styles because then you become, you come across as very kind of nasty and, and, and uh, people start to ignore very soon you being so dominative. Uh, it's not a pleasant way to communicate. It's not like, get me a glass of water. People will rather get you the glass of water if you say, would you get me the glass of water, please? Would you be so kind? So that's the way of, uh, domi in dominative interaction, you use more, you, you give orders and, and it's, it's not like, uh, it's not very polite form of communicating, but really necessary sometimes if you need to move people fast and get things done. But then as soon as the situation is over, let your needle move back to the more instructive communication style. Okay, and, if, and when we continue downwards from the dominated communication on the, on the circle, then there is defiant uh, behavior, defiant communication. And obviously person who is defiant would like to be in charge, would like to be the, the the little leader of the pack, the leader of the flock, but 
he hasn't given the position yet. Maybe he's immature. Maybe he's too young. It's the young male in the in the uh, tribe of apes that is banging his chest and saying, "I will be the next uh, next king." And then he might have the, a fight with the 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 actual leader of the flock. He's being defiant. And uh, young people, it's a part of growing up to be a bit defiant, to defy your authorities. And interesting thing is that you become more defiant if you have very dominative interaction. Then the, then the only, only way you can kind of try to have some space and be able to breathe and get your own ideas through is to be defiant. So there's less defiant behavior and communication if the atmosphere is not too dominative, if it's instructive, for example. All right. Uh, moving on from defiant uh, communication style to straight down, downwards to aggressive. And when somebody is openly aggressive, it's things like uh, verbal or even physical violence, obviously. but teasing, mocking, um, being mean, ill-witted, mm, mean humor, all, this, all these hurtful things where you don't really want the other person to feel good, but instead you somehow want to poke them more or mock them or make them feel diminished. All that is aggressive behavior. And I have to mention that uh, if you use a lot of curse words, swear words, then you come across to people as an aggressive person. And I want to mention this because in modern Finnish everyday language, even in the radio shows, people do swear a lot. They use such a swear words you could never use in the public uh, channels in, in US, for example. And it's really, really rude and, and not not okay at all. But but uh, let me uh, describe this that if you come to a, to a new situation and there are two people discussing and one of those person is really swearing a lot, another one is not. Which one would you ask for advice? Probably not from the person who lose, uses a lot of swear words because that person comes across as aggressive person. So that's something we should be aware of. And yes, sometimes we need to swear. We all know when there is the tough spot and you need the extra strength. But as, an, as a way of normal communication, be aware. Swear words and cursing, it, it's very aggressive. You don't want to call people with names and you don't need to cry for the devil. You are a bad coach if you need to ask the devil to come to help you. I'd rather see you doing it with your skillful, your, your, your tool set of friendliness. Okay, and then we move the needle again. Now we are going, uh, what, what's the direction? It's the southwest. If we would look, be looking at the compass, it would be the southwest, yeah. Uh, there we have un insecure or uncertain behavior where somebody feels, well, insecure. And, and that makes people kind of, um, some people react to insecurity by being very submissive they say okay it's it's i don't care we do whatever i don't care and and some people when they feel insecure they become really aggressive 
like in a restaurant, you might find so-called difficult customer who wants this and that and complains about everything and with a really nasty voice and, and bad attitude. And often it's a person who doesn't know himself or herself what she wants. So often behind these so-called difficult personalities or be, be difficult behavior, often at those situations, the person, the individual just feels really insecure. And they are kind of like pouncing from the aggressiveness to the submissive behavior. And this is interesting when we talk about coaching. I'll come back, back to that later. And yes, then we move the needle and now we are talking about submissive behavior. And in modern society, we don't really ask people to be submissive. Nobody needs to kind of bow down and, 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 and yes, I do. Yes, sir. Of course. Uh, sometimes it's, yes, sometimes it's clever if there is a conflict and you don't want to uh, be in an open conflict. Sometimes it's, it's good to be a submissive. Maybe you change the side of the road if you see that somebody who is a bully is coming down the road and you, you cross the road. That might be fine. But in modern life, we, that's not really where we need to be or what we think is a good behavior, a good communication to be submissive, generally speaking. All days it was different. Students needed to be submissive towards the teacher because teacher was very dominative and husband was very dominative uh, or the father of the family and the children had to just obey and the wife was, you know, she had to do what the husband told them to do. But this, this world, world is past, past and gone and, and we don't admire that culture. So actually uh, submissiveness, it's not good for the individual. And it's not, you don't want to have a submissive player in your team because then you don't use the person's own potential at all, his own thinking or anything he just does what he's told to do and you don't always have time to tell people what to do they need to think with their own brains i think all right and then we are back on the the top half of the circle and now we are talking about flexible interaction flexible communication flexible behavior and the, the direction if we would be looking at the compass would be southwest yeah north northwest northwest i'm sorry yeah northwest for sure upwards yeah and being flexible you know what it means you can give in you can give up if it's necessary but not all the way you don't want to be submissive but yeah okay yeah, yeah i can give up and give in a little bit here and there and and you, you it, it takes you need to ha have the eye for the game and so so that you know when when it's good for you and good for the 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 whole the whole situ situation and 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 the, the matter to be to be a bit flexible so in the end on the very top half of the communication wheel there's this being friendly being instructive and being flexible and those are the the ideal ways of communi communication and interaction that would be the perfect world and yes Sometimes we need to be a bit dominated when we are in charge of people. But in real life, 
we should never be actually really aggressive towards one another unless we want to fight or challenge them really. And to feel defiant, it's waste of energy. And to feel insecure, it's awful. And so what we can do as coaches, so now if you look at the lines on the circle, if, if you realize that somebody's behavior is somehow difficult, and maybe you come to the conclusion that the person feels insecure or uncertain. Hey, the instructive behavior, the instru instructive interaction is, is your thing. You are being, now you need to be so instructive and so kind and so encouraging that you kind of pull the person out of the zone of insecurity and uncertainty. And then things start to work better. And often it's a little things you might ask people to do something they feel really uncomfortable with because we don't want to embarrass ourselves and we don't want to try new things because we can't really do new things. And in teaching and in coaching and in directing, we need constantly people to learn new ways of doing things. So uh, we need to be so encouraging and so instructive that, that we've create this, this safe space to do mistakes and feel insecure and, and uh, in a safe environment. And that's our tool to help these people. And the same thing with defiance, that the interesting thing is that on the other end of the line, if you look at the wheel down there, east, southeast, no, southeast, the, where the defiant behavior is on the wheel of, of, of uh, interaction, on the other end of the, the line, there is this flexibility. So maybe your young, young team member doesn't need to be so defiant if you give your if you lend your ear for him. You actually listen what he has in mind. Might be that his idea is not uh, the idea you can take in use or put in practice. Might be that he doesn't see the whole picture like you obviously do from your position, but yeah. You give him the idea or her the idea that you saw him, you listened to them, you can be flexible. Maybe there's something you can take from his um, thinking, his, uh, you know, some, something in his idea that you can put in use. And then he doesn't need to be so defiant. So I think this is really, really like interesting thing. So what I, why I wanted to talk to you about this, this, I think this is a great representation, this wheel of uh, uh, interaction communication, because it's, it gives a visual visualization to this, this theory and ideas that our behavior, it's not random, we can choose the direction. And if we realize that we are going to wrong direction, we can, we need to take a new, new direction we need to move our readjust our behavior communication expression a little bit and might be that then we are on a track then the, the whole situation improves and and we we reach actually the other person and and it's a theoretical model but i think it helps you to analyze the communication situations and the how to say the power power structure and the hierarchy what is always there when there is people. Mm. Yeah, I, I I think you're spot on. And that's why I enjoy the tool so much is because it gives you some sort of, of structure on how to how to balance out 
you know, when your athlete's feeling insecure, how do you approach that? You want to approach it in a more instructive way where you're, you're giving some guidance and you're being friendly and everything like that. So more, more in that way. And then also, you know, the, the thing you mentioned about how there's less need to be defiant if the atmosphere is overall less dominative. And I think in coaching, we, we, we tend to, or at least maybe um, in, in kind of the, at least when I was growing up playing, a lot of my coaches seemed to answer defiance with more dominative uh, environments, right? And that would just create more defiance. And then you'd have this cycle. So it's really interesting to, to look at it and say, okay, well, maybe if you weren't so dominating, they would feel less of a need to be defiant towards that. And so I think there's a lot to learn and a lot to use as coaches with this wheel. And I, um, I want to ask you quickly about, um, just as a follow-up for that, is because I have, um, and I, I think we did this as an activity in, in, in class, where I have it drawn with uh, kind of a, a coaching zone, right? And, and all the way from flexible, um, friendly, instructive, and then down towards dominative, and then it kind of stops on the other side halfway between, and sorry for everyone listening along, this is bad radio, but we'll, we'll post a picture of it so you can, you can follow along as well. Um, but between flexible and submissive, I have kind of this assertive, um, yeah. and that kind of stops you from being submissive. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit and, and um, kind of describe how we can use that assertiveness as, as coaches there? My pleasure. Because when I'm asked to teach communication skills, I have come to this conclusion that uh, there are two major communication skills that I can kind of uh, teach because those are teachable, but those are also communication skills that you can learn and develop. And the third important communication skill is empathy. But empathy, you can't really teach. You grow up to be compassionate and empathetic person. But you can, yes, you can learn to show empathy, of course. All right. But now we talk about uh, assertiveness and active listening skills and those are the two other important communication skills and assertiveness means that you are able to think with your own brains could i say so and you are in charge of your communication you don't say whatever whenever what what you want how you want to communicate if you are being assertive you want to communicate constructively, even your negative and difficult feelings and emotions. You'd want to communicate those through constructively, not just to say, hey, you were bad. I didn't like your performance. That's your opinion. But how would you say that constructively that you dislike something? Actually, you should have some constructive blocks there. You should have some instructive information how to do it better. To be constructive okay and uh, that's one part of being assertive the other thing about assertiveness is uh is the capabilities to say no and to set set up boundaries but to do that in such such a way that you don't hurt other person mean like like you don't mean to hurt other person obviously some people get hurt you can't always avoid that but but you you're you are not ill ill-minded you're not your meaning is not ill it's not bad you just say no that's some, not something you can do 
And I think this is one of the most important things about assertiveness is the capability to say no. And it doesn't always need explanations. That's not how we work. You don't call people with names. That's a no, no. And that should be enough. And uh, when you are being assertive, you the, the idea is that you don't want to be mean. You need to sometimes deny things, but you don't do those. You don't do that because you are being mean. You do because it's good for the situation. It's because of the safety. It's because of the moral or the ethics. Or this is this is how we do things here. So assertive assertiveness is kind of the thing that that keeps you away from this kind of. Well, you know, people might start to beg you that, hey, please, let's do this. And like in the in the springtime, children are whining at the school class. Hey, we want to study outside. We don't want to be inside. But as a teacher, you know, you don't get things done outdoors. It's a way too much fun. And there's this thing you need to do and you need to do it in the classroom. So you need to say no. You need to deny their nice, their wish. And you understand that they would like to go out, outside, but you have to be able to set the boundaries. And no, and you don't do it, it, it you don't say the no with the, with the kind of attitude that you're diminishing. Oh, we, do you think we could go outdoor? Or I know your behavior would be bad there. That's a very hurtful way of putting your, 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 um, your no. You have to be respectful with your no and setting boundaries. And that's, I think, is one of the key essential, essential thing of being assertive in the, in the right way. And then one part of being assertive is of obviously the capability to uh, start a conversation and carry on if needed and stop the conversation with the strange people and in different situations. So to be able to be a good active listener you need to have this assertive uh, assertiveness. It's, it's, it, it's, you need to have that. But the thing about assertiveness is that it develops in the human brains very late. Humans are interesting creatures because we need such a long time to be grown-ups fully. And our brain keeps developing some, somewhere till we're 25, more or less. And this assertiveness is one of those skills that we, we gain really late on in our development. So that's the reason why young people, teenagers, why they are so, why they go with the rest of the crowd, why it's so hard for them to set the boundaries and say no to things, even though they feel in their heart that this is not what I should do, but they are so... Uh, they're so influenced with what other people think. And that's why as an adult, you need to be there and help them to say no to things. And it's, it's for their self-protection and also for the protection of others. This is also the thing about if we talk about sexuality, we know how important it's to say no when you need to say no and to set boundaries. So actually this is, this, this is one of the, the key things how you protect yourself from being submissive in the wrong way. So it's also something we should kind of try to teach to the youngsters that we work with this, this capability to say no, set boundaries, 
in a way that your meaning is not to hurt the other person, but to you want just to take care of each and every one. And that includes yourself. Speaking about um, learning to say no, oh, um, oh, so difficult. It's, it's, it's very funny when you ask something, for example, from someone. Yeah. And we're so used to get a yes. Mm-hmm. And then someone is saying no. It's like, what's going on now? <laughs> it's a, uh, it's like a little bit uh, short shock for the mind because sometimes, like, at least uh, from my side, when you ask something, you expect basically a yes, and then when there's coming a no, it feels <laughs> awkward. But I, I, I think um, this is this is still is still very essential because if we think about ourselves, that as you have been mentioning, sometimes. We need to learn to say no in which situations. And at the same time, we need to learn to understand and accept when other people say no. Exactly. When it's not, it's not something that's not working for them. Mm-hmm. And um, something we have been touching on on that conversation here and there a little bit is um, that overall that influence um, of culture. And um, especially, um, as we know here in Viromeki, a lot of different cultures coming together. When, when I moved here in 2018, um, I need to say I had no clue <laughs> how, how um, what kind of influence and how big the influence uh, on culture can be, uh, from the culture can be on the behavior from people mm. and the interactions and the actions everyone takes. And um, speaking about that, um, how do we learn to deal with people from other cultures? Oh dear, <laughs> that's a big question. Oh, but... I meant I meant not to deal. I meant to communicate. Uh, I want to correct it. It's just this is maybe the very basic of of how we treat other people. Uh, the first idea that we should be always kind why there's no reason to be unkind to somebody who you don't know if he doesn't pose a straight threat to your health or security. So we, be, we, are, we should be kind and, and um, polite. That's the way to start. There should be positive curiosity, a childlike curiosity. Hey, who is this person? Where is this person from? What kind of culture you present? Oh, is that the way you do things? This kind of childlike, a new thing is interesting. I want to learn about more the new thing. And this this positive curiosity, I think it's a mindset. And I think you guys have that because you have you came all the way to Finland and 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 you didn't know where you came to and and you have this this right attitude, this positive curiosity towards learning and new things. And then you need to be kind and friendly and patient, which means you need to listen and you need to learn. And now um, I'm going to take this, uh, this, uh, I'm going to present this idea of uh, like we, each and every one, we live in different worlds, so to speak. It's a metaphor. Like now Derek is sitting in his flat and like, 
in real life and, and Rick, you are in your real place and I'm in my place. And But even if we three of us, we would be together in the same room, we come from different different worlds. You come from Germany, Derek comes from, from US, I'm, I'm from Finland. And we all have our own bubble in a way. We have different values, different mindsets. We share a lot for sure. We are... We, we we share very much we we are like-minded people but but yet we all we reach with a different temperament and different childhood and different way to we have different ways to react to things so we all are in our different bubbles and I can't I need to kind of be there we need the patience first to kind of see who is this person? What what what's his world? We need to listen very actively what the person expresses and how he talks about his world and and who is this person? Again, this that this thing that happens when two animal meets they they are sniffing. Who is this? What different smells they are? What what are the worlds they present? So it takes time and patience and listening skills, active listening skills. And then I would like to use this metaphor of, uh, uh, you know, rose bud, like a flower that hasn't opened yet, a rose that hasn't opened yet. It's a, it's a, uh, a bud and it's, it's closed. And, and so are our bubbles when strangers meet and people from different cultures. But little by little, the curiosity takes over and we can start to open up when we are being treated kindly and with care. And the thing is like, you can't go and open a rose or a flower and to say, hey, flourish, be good, be, be interesting actor, be good hockey player, be good athlete. And we can't go and open the rosebud because then we just break the flower or the stranger will be broken and, and it's violence towards somebody who is a very different and we kind of start to handle them with force. No, when we come from different worlds and each and, each and every one of us, if we are considered as very precious flowers or roses, we need care and attention. And then we start to open up and little by little, we might flourish in the same environment. And then there's a lot of interesting things going on in between us and, and, and something new and beautiful can grow out of that. But you can't use force with people. You can't force them to adapt to new things immediately. You can't force them to change who they are. We, we need to just pay attention and care and listen and try to pre create an environment where, this is a cliche, but it's so true, try to create an environment where all kinds of flowers can flourish. And you know that since your classroom is filled with such a variety of people and different cultures, we need to respect that flowers are different. Together, they are something really interesting and, and fascinating, but yet they are different species, even though they are all flowers, all human soul. We share so much, but yet we come from, we are different, different in many ways. 
that's a, a great metaphor and, and I, I really like that because it, it really emphasizes the the need for everyone to be able to open up and everyone else yeah. helping others open up by being kind by being patient and by yeah. listening and understanding and everything like that and I want to ask you explicitly now because we we've talked about it you know a couple times before in the show um, and, and in this episode as well but this idea of a, of a difficult athlete, right? Or a difficult student or anything like that. How does, how do you see that? And how, how do you um, kind of communicate with those so, so-called difficult athletes or difficult students or anything like that? And, and clients, like they say in the modern world, aren't we all clients for someone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do you, how do you approach that? Hmm. Uh, well, we all have a very deep, like a core need to be seen as good and, and valuable. And then these people who have some, they might have some problems in their life, in their background, in their life situation. And so somehow they're, for some reason, their behavior has become a problematic and it's a problem. But deep down, they, they have the, this urge, this need to be seen as good and valuable individuals. So we should try to see past those problems and difficulties and maybe disabilities. We should try to see the, the core of that human that, uh, how to say, uh, in psychology, they use the same sensor. Maybe that's a bit too deep in this, this context, but the, the core self, that, that, that's always good in each and every individual. And uh, like if I would have uh, somebody who has uh, problems, let's say with, with drinking, since we are in Finland, that's not so unusual to have some kind of drinking problem, even at the young age, or you have a problem of expressing your feelings and to, to ease that anxiety you drink, so to be more social and, and you know, that's a vicious, vicious cycle. But let's say somebody has been, drinking excessively and that's a problem you need to address with someone uh, you need to see the person not the problem and that's a difficult one even for professional helpers and caregivers you all always kind of stopped stop there uh, somehow you you get caught to that idea that this problem this person has this problem and this has this individual has a problem with this and uh, all that, that's his problem with the third person. But no, there are people. And you need to deal with people, not with the problem. And when you deal with the person, then you might be able to help the person to solve their problem, or even if they are pro problems with their behavior or attitude. But we can't do that for them. Like an alcoholic can't. Uh, be cured by you saying stop drink stop to drink he has to find the the inner strength and the reasoning and the motivation from inside so it's not really helpful to see other people uh, as the problems they present you always need to look for the person inside and that's a tough one so so you need to be a good listener you need to give time like i said earlier Early, uh, earlier and uh, 
and to try to see the good in each and every one or what's good with this individual who has so many bad habits but what's good in there can i nourish the good side of him and maybe strengthen that and then he finds the inner strength and the motivation to improve also those areas in his life that are dysfunctional so these kind of people they often a bad behavior is a cry for attention as we know it's a cry for extra attention extra care to be seen to be heard like the defiant one he just needs to be listened to and uh, so those people they take a lot of your time that's so true but then your team is as good as the the weakest how you say the weakest chain link yeah link and and the same in a the theater my 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 ensemble my performance will fail if there is a weak link so i don't want there to be a weak one i want to strengthen them all and and it, it, it's a bit like a it's sounds sounds a bit romantic but 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 yes we should really really have a lot of uh, patience and extra time and care for those individuals and to see who they are but not just to address their problem or their bad behavior because that that's that's that comes like later that's a sign of something but take care of the person don't try to cure the behavior does this make any sense yeah for sure and i have to say this one of my my favorite quotes and i'm gonna add it to my my little quote wall here see the, see the person not the problem and i think that's something that a lot of people don't do you know they they see that problem first and, and i've definitely been um guilty of that in the past so that's something to to work on for sure but um Sala, we we've taken up a lot of your time today but we have one final question for you um and we asked this one at the, the end of all of our episodes but do you just have any any final thoughts or any final messages for for us or our listeners just on the importance of communication and, and how we can kind of better that for ourselves first i want to say that coaching is is it's a to, to love humanities like to love all the human sciences and 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 arts and, and crafts and everything it's not about being a, a physical educator and and deal with the human being as a just a physical being it's to love people and 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 us being humans our emotional uh, diversity our different belief systems you need to have a plenty of curiosity this childlike curiosity towards people and humanity to be a good coach um, you should try to find the pleasure and enjoyment of dealing with people. So if you are really introvert and you just like to be, uh, be and be by yourself and left alone, then this is not maybe your not your position. You you really have to be endlessly interested in people and how to deal with them and how to solve problems in the communications. So th that's a one, and you should find some kind of strange, maybe a bit pervert pleasure of of being with people and dealing with problems. Problem solving should be really something you fancy, I think. And, uh, and be generous. The whole word, I, I would like to come back to this idea that the whole 
word communication, comunicare, it's to share. And as a coach, you want to share information and you want to teach and you want to train, you have great ideas. But, but instead of just to share facts, you need to share your time, your patience, your care, your attention. So actually many like this kind of mental or uh, psychological qualities, more maybe than information. Information comes last, like the percentage, percentage of the meaning of words was so small, but the everything else is so much. So like with you guys, with your class, uh, that I, every, every class I tried to start with asking, how are you and, and what's up? It's about this, we are sharing the humanity. And then we have important things to talk about. But first of all, we are humans and we are on this boat all together. And, and we need to sail together. Otherwise, this boat will crash or it will, our journey won't be a successful one. So love people, love humans, be interested in them. And if you dislike someone, if you don't agree with someone, then just try to find out more about the person. Maybe you find the thing that you can agree about and find the thing you can, that is likable in that person. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great final message, Sala. And, and, and thank you so much for joining us today. As always, it's a, it's a pleasure talking with you. So thank you very much and, and, and all the best for the, the future and the, the new class of students coming in next year. I get so emotional seeing you guys because this new DP students as an inter international crowd of young people, you are so close to my heart. That's why I love teaching this subject because I feel I can maybe a tiny bit, I can do something good in the world by, by, by make, maybe, maybe that you wake up to this communication and this, this world of kindness and caring and friendliness, that, that, that this is the, the way we can improve the world and, 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 have great sports and have great art in the world as well. But, but young people, you work with youngsters, you work with teenagers, those are the valuable growth spots. You can never care too much. Yeah, great. All great. right, thanks, Ola. Thank you, both of you. So one more time, big thanks to Salah for taking the time and joining us here today. And first thing, what I would like to say, obviously, I hope that or we hope that everyone who has been listening has been enjoying the conversation as much as we did. And furthermore, I would like to add that um, I really hope or we really hope that overall that um, Salah can actually go back to work soon and that the theater will open again so people can come and watch the shows because um, I think they are very fantastic and I think I have been when I was a kid I have been a few times in theater shows and um, as Salah has been mentioning theater is very closely connected to coaching because there's so many uh, I mean the people who work in a the theater they put so much work in it and I also remember when I was in high school I had a classmate she was working uh, in, in the theater as well she did it in her free time and um, she got so many benefits from it. And I think 
uh, this just shows also that how much actually we coaches we can take away from the fiata world and um, fiata, is, fiata is really really demanding uh, you need to know all the texts uh, you need to know what happens when and you also there you need to be very mindful about your communication especially about your non-verbal communication but before we dive into that more deeply um, i just wanted to touch on that um, the essence of communication especially when you are working in an international environment or when you study in an international environment like we do because everyone has a different background we come from different cultures from different nations um, and uh, and everyone has a has his own or her own native language and there it's really really crucial when you have people from coming from different cultures that you clarify things because uh, in my language it maybe means something different than in, in the Russian language or in the Slovakian or Hungarian language. So this this clarification piece, especially if you if you work with people from an international background, uh, is this very crucial. And I think that's something uh, what Derek and I are doing very well when we uh, speak with each other or when we text with each other that uh, we clarify things very often because um, very often this can lead to miscommunication and then out of nowhere you have just a fight because of nothing. Yeah, and um, I think it, it's. I have a, a funny story about that. I was I was texting someone the other day, and and, and I said, hey, let's have a, a cookout by the by the lake, and, and and they were like, oh, what's a cookout? And I said, um, and I I, I paused because you know that's a very a normal term for me, and then you kind of have to think and appreciate and everything like that, and then you know you you, you explain it and you clarify it and everything like that, and um, I think just a, a really simple example there from you know how how quickly like if you if you just jump right away on that like hey like you're you know you don't know what a cookout is come on then then you know that communication falls apart but if you take a step back and, and appreciate the different cultures the different languages and everything like that then you know you you build a better understanding of everybody and, and I think that that's really important and a really good point that you bring up there you know I want to start with the nonverbal communication because as Sala was saying there's a study that found that 94 to, to 96 percent of communication is nonverbal, which is absolutely crazy because you think about you know nowadays with the the pandemic you know everyone doing everything on zoom and everything like that that's a lot more verbal communication but then also you know luckily zoom still has the camera feature and stuff like that and you can still have that nonverbal piece uh, but you're missing out i think on a lot of that nonverbal communication when you're not in person and not with each other and everything like that because you know, she was mentioning it, the, the proximity of two people, you know, that or, or a group, you know, and, um, you know, we had a we had an issue with with our team, a little bit of a humble brag here that our team was too, they were too close together when we were trying to do, to warm up uh, and trying to do some some like animal movements and stuff like that. They were too close together and they didn't have enough space. And then, you know, we took a step back and realized like, oh, hey, maybe it's a good thing that they're so close. You know, if we look at it from a nonverbal communication, like it's they they feel closer together so they're standing closer together and of course we we separated them a little bit so that they could do their movements in a you know an appropriate space but um it was an interesting perspective to take i think and the the other one that i want to mention here is because i i think you know we cover a lot of different pieces of nonverbal communication in the episode and and there's a lot of different things that go into nonverbal communication but i think the important one is is time and and I, I think it's important because we never really think about time being a way of communication you know and, and if I'm yeah uh, you know late or if I'm 
um, not not ready on time or anything like that, if I'm not prepared on time or anything like that, that that can be a way of me communicating. Um, you know, maybe I don't respect who I'm being on time for or something like that, you know, and, and again, like, but it, it also plays into that cultural piece as well, because in some cultures, it's more appropriate to be late, it's more appropriate to be, you know, showing up at 730 versus seven or something like that. So it really, you have to understand how people perceive your, your nonverbal communication. And I think the time is a really good example of that. Because, you know, for me, I'm a very um, timely person, I really like to be on time, I like to be organized and everything like that. And when someone is is late to something that we have planned, then you know, it, it kind of upsets me. But then, you know, for other people, it is not as, you know, not as stressful or upsetting or anything like that. So it's, it's really, it's really important, I think, to think about your communication is not how do I think I'm communicating, but how do other people perceive how I'm communicating. And I think that that is really important when you think about nonverbal communication. Yeah, and I think this time factor is so, so crucial if you think about communicating, because as you have been mentioning, as Salah has been explaining, basically, if you're not on time and if you're too late, um, basically, you show that you don't care or you don't appreciate the person's time and the effort the person puts in to meet you actually on that time to do that. And um, if we move a little bit forward, let's say you're a head coach um, of any kind of team from youth, junior to elite, and let's say you have a game day and um, you need to do some preparation for the game. And well, maybe you can come on time, but your preparation is not done. Uh, so I think then also reflects that on you had a lot of time, but you didn't use the time to prepare yourself. So you actually your, your team is properly prepared. And maybe at some point <laughs> this can cost you the job. So we really need to think about this as well, that communication in that sense is, is very, very valuable and very, very important and something because you mentioned uh, nonverbal communication and that's why something else I would like to touch on is that um, again, because last week we had on Ben Cooper and he was explaining to us that how he actually presents himself in front of the team when he meets them the first time and he has been explaining that it's so first of all, they're judging you right away and that's why it's super important how your body language is, uh, how your body contact is, I mean your eye contact is, your tone of voice. Uh, what are your gestures? What are your facial expressions? And also, as with, with, with what kind of urgency are you speaking? How do how much do you raise your voice in which situations? And also that I think with how much energy you are running through the room, are you just staying there um, and you're leaning forward, or is do you do you have a like a straight posture, um, chest out a little bit, and uh, just really and you show like you're confident, you have been here before and you are first of all you're here to help your athletes and secondly you are here to deliver a message what is going to happen in the next week and i think it's very funny that last week we had ben's ben's episode that he has been mentioning this and that we have this week salah's episode because as we have been highlighting several times ben he is a, an elite coach and it just shows that how important these communication these especially these nonverbal communication skills are in 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 the coaching world yeah, and I think, you know, at all levels, right, you have to be very well aware of how you communicate, because I think, you know, humans, going back to our conversation with, with Dr. Culver, you know, we're, we're social beings, we, we learn early on, 
you know, different social cues, different types of communication. I mean, you know, we, we learn different types of body language early on and everything like that. And of course, like, you know, we're still developing how we communicate throughout our entire life, I would say. But, you know, even if you're an eight and under coach, you have to be well aware of how you're communicating and, and also, you know, the tone of voice that you have to use because, you know, I, I wanted to get to it later, but but it's Sala mentioned a really great quote, which I think is one of the better ones we've ever had on our show, but see the person and not the problem. And I, I think, you know, when when you give when you when you give yourself into the problems and, and, and the you know, this is talking about kind of difficult athletes at this point, but you know, if you if you let the disturbances impact your emotions, impact how you're communicating, impacting your body language, your tone of voice and everything like that, then then you know kids can they can see that they can see you're upset and everything like that and 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 I think you know the important part there is that you really have to be able to control yourself and control your emotions and and I think what really helps there is focusing on that quote seeing the person behind the problem not just the problem and and I, I think you know I, I really like that quote because I think so many people especially with with young athletes they they jump on the problem and and they try to address the problem rather than addressing that young athlete themselves and and you know trying to get to the core of it and, and understanding them as a person and everything like that and I think if you focus on you know who they are as a person because Sala mentioned you know at the at the core everyone wants to be good you know everyone wants to be a good person at the core and and so focusing on that and realizing that they're not just the problem that they're having today they're they're a person really helps you control that tone of voice. And, and really helps you control, you know, your body language and everything else that the, the kids can pick up on. And and the, the outcome will be so much more positive, I think. And, you know, for me, it, it, it's, it's really important, that aspect of it. And, and, and that quote was really important to me because, you know, growing up in youth sports and, and, and working with youth sports and, and everything like that, like, there, there's so often that the problem is highlighted rather than the person and that really impacts your communication and how you communicate and, and how you get to the bottom of that problem and, and I, I, I again I, I just can't can't say it enough that it, it is so important to, to move past that problem and focus on the on the person themselves yeah actually I have I have an example to that yesterday because we had practice and uh, it was a little bit unlucky because we have been outside yesterday uh, well, it was beautiful weather, everything was pretty nice, but where we have been practicing, um, it was on a soccer field and on a tartan track, and there have been plenty, plenty of mosquitoes, uh, so it was really, really tough to concentrate for the players, and I even had to drive quickly to the supermarket and buy some mosquito spray, because otherwise you could not concentrate anymore, and uh, then... Finish well, summer. Yeah, yeah, well, that's how it is, but um, it's, it's everywhere like that, and I think um, then doing we did some i don't remember i think it was yeah it was lower body movements we did a one leg glute bridge uh, and then one of my players uh he got two mosquitoes in his mouth and he turned around and he spit them out and well again like see the person not the problem maybe earlier in the days i would i would have like snapped right away on that kid but i asked him first hey uh, what what happened right now and he said he got two, two mosquitoes in his mouth and i said okay like it's it's totally okay take your time spit them out and then when you're ready start again i think um this is a, maybe a little bit different example but overall the session it was yesterday pretty tough but um with the help of the spray it was quite good and i think um this example shows as well that 
um, sometimes we need to be a little bit more patient. And then um, in this case, I, I wasn't speaking with an aggressive tone of voice. I was really lowering it and trying to understand what actually has been happening right now. And uh, I think then everything went on well. He continued practicing and then that's, that's it. And um, the next point I would like to touch on um, with Salah is that I would like to go a little bit back again to that culture thing that um, um, because we spoke with her, how do we actually learn to um, communicate with people from different cultures? Because again, it's, I mean, even 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 if I go to Germany, I'm I'm from Potsdam, which is very close to Berlin, and if I go from uh, from Potsdam to let's say Dresden, where I've been living also one year, it's totally different, and communication is so different there, also because of the dialect, but also because of the of the like like micro environment everyone has been growing up and that's why it's so essential as Salah has been explaining that we really need to have deep discussions from people from different cultures because um, this is this is so so crucial because especially again here um, if you study with an international background um, so many people come from so many different places and really understanding that why do they think in a certain way why do they talk this way why do they reply this way why do they behave this way and overall just asking them about their background and um, I think this is so essential that we have these deep discussions with people from different cultures because then at the end of the day we understand uh, the person much 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 better and then again that some sometimes then there maybe um, then you clarify certain things up and you avoid the problem in that sense uh, because communication is like so for someone someone perceives communication so different than i do or you do so that's that's very very crucial i think yeah and i, I think you know that that really helps your overall communication and i think especially nowadays in the sports world you never know who you're going to end up working with especially over here in europe you know and that's what i've realized is you never know who you're going to end up working with and who you're going to end up communicating with and and how important those communication experiences are going to be so really really just taking the time and, and, and understanding how you communicate with other people and, 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 and how other people communicate with you and, and understanding, you know, what's, what's normal for German communication, what's normal for Potsdam communication, what's normal for, um, you know, Italians, what's normal for Spanish people, what's normal for French and Finnish and all of these different people, Americans and everything like that. And so it's, it's something that, I think if you really take the time and, and understand other people's um, cultures and how they communicate and everything like that, it, I mean, it, it adds to your own life and it adds to your own coaching and it adds to your communication abilities for sure. And I think, you know, moving on now to um, the the wheel of interaction, which I think is is uh, one of the most interesting tools that I've ever had as a coach. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's something that has really, really helped me in my coaching. Uh, and it, it's something that I, I would suggest to every coach to, to put it on a clipboard and, and think about it and use it and, and, and really just kind of understand it. Because, you know, if you, if you think about especially youth coaches and, and how often, you know, you have players come up to you with, with problems or questions or ideas or anything like that. You know, you have one kid come up to you and, and they hurt their fi they hurt their finger. You know, they, they got slashed or, you know, they fell on it or something like that. So you have to you have to figure out how to communicate to that person. They really need you to be, you know, pretty friendly and, and, and caring and everything like that. And then 
you know, you, you come up to a, a player that's a little bit more defiant, like, hey, no, I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to be here. I, and then you need to be a little bit more flexible and you need to you need to find out what they want to do. How do you get them, you know, how do you get them kind of compromising and, and everything like that and, and being flexible in that way. And then also you then you come up to a player and, and they're a little bit insecure about their performance. You know, maybe they're not happy with how they're performing a drill or a game or anything like that. And then you need to be a little bit more instructive. So, you know, all of that can happen in two minutes. So I think the wheel of interaction is so important because as coaches, you know, we need to be constantly shifting our communication style. And we need to be constantly shifting how we interact with each individual because each individual is going to need a different type of interaction in in that moment. You know, one kid might have you know, might have four or five different moods in four or five minutes and, and you have to be able to communicate them and to them in, in every mood and, and understand, you know, what are their needs at the current situation and everything like that and I think that's the tool that the wheel of interaction gives you is or that's the that's the help that the wheel of interaction gives you is that ability to kind of see your communication as as a scale and a sliding scale and you can go a little bit more flexible when needed you can go a little bit more dominative when needed and, and everything like that and really kind of switching back and forth and, and sliding up and down that that wheel uh, to match the different communication styles of your athletes and, and everything like that is uh, again it's just one of the most useful things that i've seen as a coach I think what what you just said with the um, like that every kid goes through one practice maybe to three or four different moods that also reflects on the conversation we had with Nick Winkle with Nick Winkleman that the mind is wandering all the time and sometimes um, we just need to recognize this and then we need to try to get the attention back from the kid and for myself I think the from that communication we are the most things what I've been using basically is that in my coaching is. Um, from flexible over friendly to instructive. I think these three are very common in my coaching and I think um, these are very positive and I think um, in coaching you should definitely not be submissive. Uh, maybe you can be sometimes insecure, that's fine also in coaching. I don't think that's a problem, but you shouldn't be aggressive, defiant and you shouldn't absolutely not be dominative. I think uh, that's one of the worst things you can do and that's especially this like, submissive behavior it used to be when when i was playing as always when you even already when i was like under 14 uh, that was insane when you when you were the so we had because it's not like in finland here where you have each each age group is playing together so let's say i'm born 97 and here in finland did my my teammates would have been also born all 97 it was always two so i was always playing with uh, when i was the younger one I was playing with the 96 bonds and when I was the older one I was, play, I was playing with the 98 bonds and, and the last age group in under 20s it was also with 98 and 99 and anyway always if you have been the a youngest youngest player um, then you you really had to display always this like submissive behavior okay you need to fill up the water bottles you have to pick up the pucks and I think this is also like reflecting on the Finnish women's national team they have a totally different approach obviously they they have certain demands and they have certain expectations but um for them also leadership is that actually that okay as an older player sometimes it's your responsibility to do certain things to just show that um to the young players that hey uh we are all the same here and i think that also reflects on like sweep the sheets as we, as we have been discussing last week you just need to show humility um you're never too old or too young to clean the locker room or to leave your place uh, in an appropriate way 
Yeah, and I, I want to touch on something you mentioned uh, about halfway through your your thing there, and 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 you you mentioned that you know it's never appropriate to be dominative as a coach, but I, I want to challenge you a little bit on that because I think that that word dominative in this context it, it means something a little bit different. You know, it's not the classic you know yelling, "Hey, do this, do this, do this," like kind of military order. Uh, for me, it, it, in this situation, it's it's okay to be. Um, dominative as a coach in, in kind of extreme moments, right? And in a couple of weeks, we have an episode with uh, Pertu Kutuhanka um, from TPS Floorball. And, and he mentions, you know, during the week, it's very discussion-based and open and everything like that. But then on the weekends when they're playing games, you know, it's more his decision, you know, and, it, and it's more him making the decisions and everything like that. And I think that, that that's where it's appropriate to be dominative as a coach is, you know, hey, 25 seconds left in a gold medal game, I, I'm going to draw up a play and you guys are going to run it. Like, that's just going to how That's how it's going to be. And, and of course, you know, like you, you think back a couple years ago and um, Steve Kerr on the on the Golden State Warriors let his players run a timeout uh, at the end of a game and, and they were up by, uh, you know, I think a couple dozen points. But, you know, the, the point there is that there, I think there are times to be dominative and I, I don't think it has, uh, in this context, always a negative meaning. You know, there there I think there are, positive ways to be dominated and of course I don't think you want to live there as a coach that's you know that's kind of the old school classic coach led and coach centered environment but there are there are kind of times where it's needed to to kind of go toward dominative a little bit and then you know you're there quickly and then you bounce back up to to kind of friendly instructive and flexible and I think but I think you're right like between those three flexible um instructive and friendly is is where I, I think most coaches want to live yeah, with the dominative, I really meant like more just like um, like that you all the time predict the players what they need to do. That you all the time like that you basically all the time have high use of voice all the time. Yeah. And obviously, one hundred percent, there are certain situations where you, where you as a coach we have to make make the decisions and we have to act in coach centered ways, as we have been discussing also in depth with Erka um Westerlund who we had on in the beginning of the show that's that's perfect 100% and I also strongly believe in that but um in dominative I mean that all the time during the practices you you all the time give the players the instruction in a way that okay this is how we do it and in a very dominative aggressive way so I think this is not uh, appropriate anymore right yeah and 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 going more towards the instructive side there where you're you're kind of giving them options and then the dominative side of that would be very prescriptive you know hey do this do that do that um yeah i would agree and i think you know that's a a good place to wrap it up a little bit longer of a reflection today almost 25 minutes but um i think we could have gone on for 10 or 15 for sure because this episode was i think jam-packed with information so uh, if you're still listening at this point thanks for the support and thanks for listening today to today's episode with Sala. Um, and again, thanks to her for taking the time. And uh, don't forget to connect with the show on social media at The Coaches Road uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you know, send us an email if you want uh, with any recommendations or um, suggestions or feedback or anything like that. We're always open to, to hearing that stuff. So uh, our email is thecoachesroad at gmail.com. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we will see everyone next week. Bye.